money, deals, tribal knowledge, resources, training, coaching, partnering. We are Texas's largest real estate investor association at texasstarterkit.com. My name is Shanoa Grove. Welcome to the show. All right, everybody, welcome to Texas Rias. I'm Shanoa Grove, the founder and president of Texas Rias. I've been investing in real estate for the last 20 years here in Texas. Cannot believe it has been that long, but this year we celebrate our 20 year anniversary. And this part of our meeting, we're gonna go through uh, the market update as well as our tip of the week. So excited to be able to share that with you. Uh, every week we do a new tip of the week. Every week we share something uh, new that you can put into place. So every week we share with you something that's new to be able to build out your real estate investing business, uh, whether that's a tip about asking uh, the person that you're talking to over the phone about any animals that they may have in their house, right? Uh, or whether it's uh, something uh, this to help you get a property under contract. And today we're going to go through some of the different lessons that we've learned over these last uh, 20 years of being a real estate investor. And many of those lessons are part of what we call our real estate investor blueprint. So uh, this blueprint, I know it's very hard for you guys to read on the screen, but this goes through the um, what we've learned over the last 20 years of investing in real estate. It breaks down our business into 272 different items from the strategy part of the business. So all the different strategies we use to be able to buy and sell houses, the marketing part of the business, which should be your biggest part of your business and where you sp should be spending most of your time, sales and negotiating, how to be able to get properties under contract and renegotiate as needed, your analysis and due diligence, uh, your finance as well as your operations. Uh, some people would say, well, why is analysis and due diligence before sales and negotiations and getting a property under contract? Who in here is thinking that? None of you. Let me ask this question. Who are my left brain analytical, everything's in a spreadsheet folks? Okay. Okay. A couple of you guys. Really just two. Okay. Thank you, ma'am, for, it's okay. My name is Shanoa. I am also a left brainer. Hello, Shanoa. Welcome to the meeting. Okay, good. So for a lot of my left brainers, uh, they want to ready, 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 aim, 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 aim some more, just aim it up just a little bit better. And then, okay, I think we've, we've talked to four realtors and we brought over four contractors. And I think I'm finally ready to go and put this thing under contract and be with integrity. Okay. Who are my right brainers in the room? Okay, so my right brainers are just gonna go and ready, fire, aim, okay? This, the way this is set up is ready, fire, aim. So you're doing your sales and negotiation before you're doing your final due diligence, right? So for my left brainers, this is something that feels really quite uncomfortable, right? But what did I tell uh, Tyler to go and do immediately? Go put it under contract, right? And then you have an option period where you can do what? You can renegotiate, you can change your strategy, you can terminate, it's all good. So what I find is a lot of people miss out on deals because they don't leave my meeting early enough to go and get them under contract, Tyler. <laughs> and, and Tyler, I'm, just, I'm giving you a hard time. Uh, so so um, I want you guys to feel comfortable being a little uncomfortable. So remember I said in the last section, 
You can contract on an online value. You can contract on an interview over the phone where you're basically asking all of the questions to figure out what those repairs might be. Uh, but you can't close until you get those uh, true values done. So I want you guys to feel a little uncomfortable being uncomfortable, uh, feel comfortable being uncomfortable, pardon me, as we, uh, as we kind of go through uh, our lives as a real estate investor. And for the tip that we have this week, it's really focused on reselling properties. So um, I've done a whole series so far of what I'll call an overview of real estate investing. So if you want to see the front end of the series where we talk about the marketing, where we talk about getting deals, where we talk about the strategy, where we talk about the due diligence, my left brainers love that one, where we talk about the negotiating, where we talk about the financing, the closing. Uh, now we're in the part of the series where we're talking about reselling those properties. And by reselling, uh, there's many different ways you can do it. You can wholesale it, right? Uh, which I think is the way that a lot of people want to get started in real estate investing, especially if they have uh, very little um, uh, in terms of uh, their financial capability. So you can absolutely pre-sell or wholesale any of your deals. Uh, a lot of people decide to do a double closing. So for me, my rule for a double closing is if I'm making... Um, any amount of money that I might later refer to as obscene. If I'm making an obscene amount of money on a deal, am I going to chance it by doing a single closing or am I going to buy that insurance policy, which is going to be, I'm going to close it twice. So basically you're going to pay title insurance. Uh, you're going to pay fees twice. Um, you're going to, um, uh, 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 you're going to, uh, pay, uh, legal fees twice. Um, if it's an insurance policy is the way I think of, uh, of a double closing, but if I'm making five or $10,000 and it's to someone that I've wholesaled to in the past or someone that I know, or someone who I trust, um, then I'm just going to do a, a, a single, a regular wholesale or a single closing. But once I start making above $20,000, then I'm thinking, hmm, I really want to protect this because sometimes when a seller finds out or a buyer finds out that you're making an obscene amount of money, right? What do they immediately want to do? They want to blow your deal up. Okay. Um, they want to blow your deal up. And uh, the way that they'll do that is uh, they'll just not show up to the closing table, right? Or they'll try to ghost you. Uh, so for those of you guys who are unfamiliar, ghosting is not just for dating. Um, it's, it's crossed over into the, um, into the mainstream of what sellers do with uh, investors who, or people who they're selling to they don't no longer want to sell to. So if, if I'm above 20, um, I'm probably going to do a double closing unless I really know the person really well. I will tell you, I was at a meeting here. Ah, gosh, I'll, I won't forget it. It was about 10 years ago. And we were talking about wholesale fees and I mentioned like a $20,000 wholesale fee. And the other investor who was a buyer said, no, that's, you know, you never pay someone $20,000 for a wholesale fee. You know, wholesale fees should only be like a thousand to $5,000 maximum. I will never pay anything more than $5,000. And I'm thinking, did San Antonio just become part of North Korea? Because like, I thought we could set our own fee. I thought we were a full on capitalist country and we could set our own fees no matter how, you know. So, so when, if you're wholesaling to me, 
I don't care what you make. In fact, I want you to make as much money as possible as long as it fits my numbers, right? So, so, so I believe in capitalism, right? And, and, but but if, I, if I knew that my only buyer that I was wholesaling to was the buyer who thought we were in part of North Korea and said like the maximum I will pay for a wholesale fee is $5,000, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna double close it so he can't see what I'm buying it for. So he can't see how much I'm making. But if I'm closing with somebody like me, I mean, it's a $70,000 wholesale fee, and I know that they don't care, and I know, because why wouldn't I care how much you guys make if you're wholesaling a deal to me? Well, because if you made a lot of money selling me a property, who are you gonna bring your next property to? That'd probably be me, right? So it's not just being uh, short-term greedy, it's also about being long-term greedy. Am I missing something? Oh yeah, it's um, in my briefcase tucked in on the left-hand side, yeah, yeah. So uh, you can do uh, also a traditional uh, closing where you're buying it yourself, buying with your own money or other people's money. Some great sources of other people's money include your own uh, checking, savings, also the seller's existing mortgage. And this is that concept of buying it subject to. It could be, um, anybody in here have a, old, have a 401k? 401k, anybody? Okay, a couple of you guys. Uh, do you know that you, once you get some separation of service from your existing employer, that you can move that over into a self-directed IRA company? I happen to love Quest Trust. I've had my money with them for 15 years. And you can use that money in your old 401k turn self-directed IRA to be able to buy property, right? Uh, so, and then of course there's private money lenders, hard money lenders, uh, traditional banks, although for the most part, traditional banks are not an investor's friend simply because number one, we just have to close it too fast, right? So you got a property that you got to close in literally like three and a half days, okay? So, so is a Wells Fargo even gonna like open your file in that time period? And the probably answer is no. Um, a hard money lender, they really want, you know, two weeks themselves. Uh, so uh, sometimes they can't even get it funded fast enough. But the difference between a bank and a hard money lender, a traditional bank is uh, a hard money lender will loan on your uninhabitable house. Okay, a Wells Fargo Chase Bank of America will not lend on an uninhabitable house. So if it doesn't have running water, electric, all of those things, Wells Fargo Chase Bank of America, they're out, but your hard money lender is, is in. So just be aware of both their timeframes as well as their lending criteria. And that's another reason why, in, in especially for your particular case, uh, Tyler, where you've got something that's gotta close really quickly, you need to sell them hard on buying it subject to the existing financing because there's just no lender almost and uh, there's very few lenders um, that, that can close in that time frame that you need it closed. So the fastest way to be able to solve their problem is for you to just reinstate their uh, HOA lien. So that's $7,500 out of pocket for you, pay the closing costs, put some money in their pocket so they're incented to do this and just take over the payments on their existing loan so that they don't, you don't, they don't have to have their, um, uh, their credit you know, messed up or uh, actually, I don't think an HOA can mess up your credit. Uh, a bank can, but once the HOA now owns the property, she's going to say, well, should I continue to pay my bank loan at this point? And then she's got that reinstatement period, which is about 180 days. But I don't, that's not something that maybe you want to 
let her know about uh, if you want to keep the deal. And this is where I sound like, yes, I'm going to take a shower after our meeting tonight. I know I sound like a, a jerk, but I mean, this is uh, it's just, uh, you know, we want to, you know, we want to help and we are helping and it's clearly not something that she can afford. So uh, the best thing that I've seen sellers do is when they realize like, this is not something I'm going to be able to sustain going forward. Then the best thing to do is get out now and to get into something that's significantly more affordable so that you don't get in a position where you're losing everything, which is where she's at right now. All right, so reselling. Uh, wholesaling, let's talk about that strategy particularly, in particular. So it's gotten a little bit trickier and a little bit costlier, uh, especially if you do it wrong. So when you're wholesaling a deal, I, I wanna be clear uh, for those of you guys who are, who are not following uh, the law, um, you are selling your contract. You're selling what's called your equitable interest in the property. Because if you are selling the property and you are not a licensed realtor, then basically you're acting like a non-licensed realtor. If you do this, TREC um, is the acronym for the Texas Real Estate Commission. So the Texas Real Estate Commission is the licensing board for realtors, um, inspectors, um, uh, and uh, and uh, I think appraisers. So they will find you if you are selling contracts and you're not a realtor, and then they will fine you. You can go to Trek and they have a whole list of their, that they, they post their naughty list like every single day uh, online. So just be sure to uh, uh, phrase your words, choose your words carefully. You're selling your contract, you're selling your equitable interest in the property. Um, now, uh, many sellers or many investors don't want the seller to know that they're assigning it and they don't necessarily want the buyer to know how much money they're making. Uh, so one way to be able to get around that is to do a double closing where essentially you'll buy it in the morning and you'll sell it in the evening. Now, can those things be reversed technically? The answer is yes, they can, uh, but that's just kind of mentally how I want you guys to think of it. If you are not bringing money to the closing table, then you will ask your end buyer to bring what's called pass-through funding. So there's two transactions that happen in a double closing. It's A to B and then B to C. So A is the original seller. B, that's you, the person in the middle, the investor. So the seller is selling it to you, A to B, and then you're later selling it B to C, where C is your end buyer, the person that you're wholesaling it to. You'll ask your title company to use the B to C transaction to fund the A to B transaction. That way you're not bringing you know, $130,000 to the closing table, and then you get your 130 back, and then your end buyer is bringing 130 to, to the closing table, plus maybe they're a $10,000 fee for you, and then they're kind of moving, you know, just kind of moving the chess pieces, and then you got to get that money refunded back. Now, not every title company will do this uh, because of underwriting rules. Um, and how they phrase it to their underwriters. So underwriters, if you guys, um, they're, they're, uh, they're a cousin of the undertaker. Uh, uh, underwriters are, are known for literally asking you, especially like banking, um, are, you know, they're the ones who, when you got your loan, um, asked you for your third grade report card. It's like, I mean, it's like they just, they just crawl so far um, up your backside, it's not even funny. So. Uh, make sure you're with a title company that can do that pass-through funding because not everyone can. 
There's transactional funding that can be, uh, that can occur too, um, but there's um, some of the transactional lenders will, they'll lend, but only if you have a great deal. So if you're buying it for 130 and it's worth 130 and you're like, but don't worry, I got a buyer who's gonna pay me 140 and I'm gonna make 10, 10 grand on this thing and I'm gonna give you, you know, maybe three of that 10 as a transactional funder. Um, they may say, gosh, I don't know if I wanna put my money there because if your end buyer you know does not come through for whatever reason then i'm going to be stuck with a house that's worth 130 that i bought for 130 and for me i'm going to have to pay to resell it and i'm going to lose money off of it but if you brought him a house like the one that you're talking about where it's worth 230 you're coming in at 130 you might be able to get some transactional funding on on a deal like that the, your ability to get transactional funding is directly correlated to the amount of equity in that underlying transaction. Do you guys follow what I'm, what I'm, you guys follow? Everybody follow? I hope so. I, okay, good. All right, good. Uh, so uh, there are some new rules when it comes to uh, wholesaling property. So uh, this is new as of the last legislative sec session. You guys can uh, look it up. Uh, SB 1577 Section B Equitable Interest Disclosure. So new rules make the wholesaler notify both the buyer and the seller that it's a wholesale transaction. If you don't disclose, what are you doing? You're acting like an unlicensed agent where TREC will find you, find you and fine you. So just be aware of those changes which are relatively recent. Um, if you're reselling traditionally, so I bought it, I got this great price on it, $220,000, um, $25,000 in repairs. Um, I got it for one thirty, so I'm, I'm at that 70% of ARV minus repairs deal. I'm going to fix it myself. I'm going to put it back on the MLS. The, your, your highest chance for getting your highest dollar amount is to hire a great realtor and have them list it for you, put it on the MLS. You'll fill out their agreements, forms, disclosure. Uh, there's several different types of listing uh, services out there. There's the self-service kind. Uh, which will take pictures and give you a lockbox and put a sign out and kind of but but all the rest is just pointing to you know you have to take all the rest you have to do all the rest yourself and then there are the full service brokers uh, that charge up to six percent but just know that brokerage fees are negotiable so some people if you can build a roadmap a vision of how you guys are going to work together forever um, sometimes you'll find realtors who will come down off of that three percent listing fee um, so your realtor will begin a marketing campaign uh, to get it all uh, 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 listed for sale. Uh, you'll want to make sure you've done things properly. So I have seen a, a f more than a few investors get punched in the face by, oh wait, I had to have permits and I've got to have a certificate of occupancy. And some buyers are going to say, Yes, and some realtors are going to highly encourage the buyers to make sure that the seller gets that prior to closing, which may take um, weeks and months, and you don't want that after you already have a buyer. Uh, so that may cause some future issues for you. So make sure you get that uh, set up correctly. I used to, um, 20 years ago when I first started investing, I used to say, um, I always get a permit. I always get a permit for everything that I do. And the truth is, unless I was going outside of the main square footage of the structure, um, I'd try to not get a permit as much as possible. In today's environment of um, people have 311 on their speed dial um, and with more uh, inspectors going around than ever, you, you, ha you must get a permit. Uh, you must get a permit. Um, so 25,000, if you're just doing carpet paint, uh, 
um, just a little bit here and there. That's not something that's like necessarily you need a permit for, but if you're doing electrical work, if you're doing plumbing work, if you're going outside of the existing structure, um, uh, then you'll definitely want to be getting a permit. So as you're getting uh, closer to the finish line, uh, receiving those offers, uh, negotiating them. Everyone's uh, asked about title policy. That is a negotiable fee. The seller can pay for it. The buyer can pay for it. The seller can choose. The buyer can choose. Um, that is uh, completely negotiable. Go under contract as you're reselling, go through the inspections, uh, renegotiate if uh, that's where you are, uh, make any repairs if they are required, clear any title issues. So my best advice for you guys is to close the second sale at the same place that you closed the first sale. That way you're not restarting everything over at a new title company that's also going to be asking you for your third grade report card, which really is not, I mean, uh, it's just your, um, your um, incorporation documents, uh, your articles of incorporation to make sure that you are the one who can sign. But sometimes new title companies find new liens, judgments, et cetera. So if it's under the old title company, then they'll easily resolve them. If it's under a new title company, then you're gonna have to go back and work with the old title company. So, um, uh, just be aware that uh, those can be issues there. Uh, deal with any uh, buyer issues, specifically funding. Uh, there have been so few deals that I've been part of where the buyer's lender has been able to fund it on time. So be prepared for that as a real estate investor. Uh, send the wire instructions over to the bank to be able to get your big check as a real estate investor. So that is uh, this tip for this week. I will tell you guys uh, that I have a bunch of tips of the week. So uh, this is kind of my list of many of those prior tips. Let's see here if it's going to come up on the screen here. Alrighty, let's see. There we go. So if you'd like to check out some of my prior tips and tricks, I've got about a hundred of them uh, for all things real estate in Texas. So when we talk about Texas RIAs, uh, the reason why we are branded that is because we live here, we work here, we invest here. If you guys are listening uh, or attending YouTube University, you may be getting great advice on from some awesome guru who has a million followers on how to invest in that person's state okay if that person is not in the state that you are in guess what you might be doing something that's not possible tax deed liens right or something that's illegal like uh like oh, many things so i want to make sure you guys are following the people who actually know so that is it for our tips and tricks of the week and let's see what else I got for you. Uh, how about a market update? So let me get started on that. And let me get this set up here. So every uh, time we get together, we do a market update to share with you what's happening in the uh, market today. So I'll give you the roll up for Texas and then we'll break down very quickly some of the other major markets. You guys are welcome to take pictures of this. Uh, it will also be on the Texas Rias Facebook page as well. So last month, the average sales price was down 3% to uh, about 430,000. Closed sales were down 7% year over year in all of Texas. For the Dallas-Fort Worth market, closed uh, sales were down 2%, and the average price in Dallas was down 4%. 
Where's everyone going? They're leasing properties. So you have a, a big jump up in the number of leases in Dallas. In Houston, the sales price was down, but only 1.6%, so it did pretty well overall. And that average sales price was 431,000. In Houston, the closed sales were down 10.4%. And again, you see a lot of lease activity going on in the Houston market. In the San Antonio market, uh, did the best overall. Flat is the new up. Uh, so the average price was 389,000, which was flat year over year, which is probably some of the best news that we could get considering that we've more than doubled the interest rates in about a year, year and a half period. Uh, closed sales in San Antonio, they were down, but only down 3%. Leases in San Antonio were flat year over year. Austin uh, had the biggest decrease. So Austin average sales price 606,000, uh, down 11% year over year. So Austin had the biggest run up in sales price and also has seen the biggest decrease in sales price. Sales were down, but only down 4%. Uh, the close price to the original list price, 94.1%. So what that means is if the property was listed for 100,000, it sold for 94,100. Now there is no such beast in Austin that's listed for a hundred thousand but you get the you get the concept uh, uh, about a year year and a half ago in Austin if it was listed for a hundred it sold for a hundred and six thousand okay so that market has uh, both come up really hotly and is going down um, kind of at a faster face, pace than any of the other markets here and guys we also have a special announcement for you all and that is to learn a little bit more about real estate investing. So when we first joined, uh, when we first started investing, we did not have all the cool things that you have, like the YouTube and the Facebook and the podcast and all of these different resources. Uh, we just had the local real estate investor association. And the way that the association ran was we'd have a meeting once a month, every month you'd learn just a little bit more about investing. And after maybe somewhere between a year and three years, you'd have enough knowledge to be able to be a successful real estate investor. Someone realized, hey, that speed really sucks. And I'd like to do this like, like now is good. And if I could binge watch you continually over the course of a three day period, I think I would probably learn a lot and do be a successful real estate investor. So we have heard and we have listened and we have created a three day class to be able to help you guys become real estate investors. Uh, during this three day class, we talk about the 12 investing strategies that we have used to survive and thrive over the last 20 years. If you are learning from someone who's only been a successful investor for the last three or five years, you're not learning from what we call a full cycle investor. A full cycle investor is someone who has invested not just through the good times, but also through the bad times and has done it without having to update a resume. So for me, I started during the dot-com bust. Um, I went through the credit boom. I went through the credit bust. I invested through the uh, great recession. I've invested through the best 10 years that we've ever had. I've invested through worldwide pandemics. I've invested through snowstorms, ice storms, hurricanes, and tornadoes. Uh, so, and, and all of the different presidents, um, from all the different parties, all the different law changes, and the way that I've been able to uh, invest through all of these different uh, changes and uncertainties is being able to have strategies that work both when the market is up as well as strategies that work when the market is down and strategies that work when the market is uncertain, which is a little bit of where we are at right now. Uh, they've been threatening us with a recession for about the last year. We still have yet to see it, but they've also been raising interest rates uh, to, to 
bring down inflation and that's not working at the rate or pace that they think it is either. So uh, there's a lot of uncertainty now. So we will teach you guys how to invest through that uncertainty. We'll go over the 65 different marketing campaigns, the 10 sales scripts to be able to close every deal. So uh, we've talked to over 1200 sellers and at, at 1200, quite frankly, we just stopped counting. Um, and we've also taken training with Chris Voss. Anybody know who Chris Voss is? Never split the difference. Uh, he was an FBI terrorist and hostage negotiator uh, for the FBI. Um, and uh, he has some incredible strategies for those types of situations. And if any of you guys are thinking, well, what does terrorist and hostage negotiation have to do with real estate investing? If that is what you're thinking right now, what that tells me about you is that you've never dealt with a motivated seller because sometimes it does feel like a terrorist or a hostage negotiation. Uh, so we'll teach you all the things that we learned and we'll do it uh, in July and August of this year. So I wanna make sure you guys pull out your phone now. I've got a QR code at the bottom of uh, the slide. For those of you guys online, we're going to put a link below so you guys can click on that to get registered. Uh, as you get registered, we'll ask your name, your contact information. We'll also ask you a couple of questions to see where you're at today as a real estate investor and what your goals are, where you want to go next. Uh, and we'll design a real estate investor new blueprint for you uh, that's customized based on the answers that you give us in terms of uh, what your life as a real estate investor looks like today and what you want it to look like in the future. So we'll ask you guys to go ahead and get signed up now. Uh, if you don't know how to use the QR code, that's okay. You can just go to texasstarterkit.com, texasstarterkit.com. And then again, for those of you guys online, you can just push the link below and we'll get you signed up. So with that, I want to introduce our keynote speaker tonight, uh, Mr. Phil Grove. He's a nationally recognized expert in a number of real estate investing strategies. Trained over 100,000 people here in Texas on how to invest in real estate, transacted over 1,200 deals involving over $200 million of real estate, and invested in over $400 million in commercial properties, so both uh, single-family residential assets as well as commercial multifamily assets. Survived and thrived in every part of the market cycle and owns over $30 million worth of real estate, mostly free and clear, and all here in Texas. He's going to come up now and share with us uh, some of the tips, tricks, and tribal knowledge that he's built up over over these years as a real estate investor. Will you please all give him a very warm round of applause. Texas's largest real estate investor association at texasstarterkit.com. If you like today's episode, please subscribe, comment, share with other investors, or join us directly at texasstarterkit.com.